Thank you so much for the chance to, to come and hang out. I've got a really simple word for you this morning. It's not going to go too long because I got, I got promised a lunch um, if I stuck to time. So there are a few things that I like as much as a free lunch, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sticking to time. Uh, but in my few minutes with you, I just want to uh, simply talk about spaces uh, and the kind of space that we're building here at Embassy City Church. Uh, the kind of space that is, not, that is not resistant to what God would, des- would do, but is receptive of God's work. Uh, not, not, not a space that, that has the miracles and, and, and the signs and the wonders, the people coming to Jesus as a rarity, but a place and a space where God moving and doing what only He can do is our experience week in, week out. I want to talk about building that kind of space. And uh, this, this talk will center around uh, a simple text uh, in the scriptures, and it's found in Genesis chapter 1, uh, the very first words there in Holy Writ. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over those waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that that light was good. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. And we we, uh, acknowledge your uh, lordship here in this moment and in every moment of our existence. And we pray right now that you would open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to receive what you have for us here this morning. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. In fact, that I would disappear and you would wholly appear. That you would be our leader, our teacher, our preacher, our guide, our rabbi this morning. Lord Jesus, have your way. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're on our side. And we thank you that you have a dream for Embassy City Church. A space where the lost are found, the hurting are healed, the broken are mended. Where people come together. We trust that you can and will do this for your name's sake. P.S. Help the Cowboys win. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. In the beginning, there was God, and God created the heavens and the earth. Up to that point, there was nothing. There was space. Formless and empty. And into that space, God would speak, let there be light. And he filled it with light. Can you see what happens? The very first picture that God draws of himself is of a God who finds himself with space into which he can speak and fill it with light, fill it with life, and fill it with beautiful things. And the same God who did this in the beginning is the exact same God gathered with us here this misty January morning who delights to find space into which he can speak and fill it with beautiful things. Come on, smile. This is good news. Because this reminds us that this isn't just another church service. This ain't just another 10 a.m. This is actually space that we're creating in the middle of our busy weeks, in the middle of our hectic lives, into which we're allowing God to speak and to fill it with beautiful things. We're going through some darkness right now. We need Him to speak and switch on the lights. We're going through some pain right now. We need Him to speak and bring some relief. I'm feeling helpless right now. Hey, God, we're inviting you to speak and bring some hope. 
We aren't just going through the holy motion, singing two fast songs, two slow songs, sitting through a priestly pep talk, getting a couple of hugs and high fives on the way out. No, we are here because we know that if we would create space in the middle of our crazy lives, God can speak and do what only He can do. Smile. This is really good news because this reminds us that Embassy City Church isn't just another church. It's not just another religious option here in the city of Dallas. No, Embassy City Church has always meant to be, and it will be, by the grace of God and for His glory, a space here in the Irving area where God will speak and do what only He can do. This is space where He wants the lost to be found, the hurting to be healed, the broken to be mended, the prodigal to come home, where genuine diversity can be celebrated and God would in turn bless that unity. Come on, that's what Embassy City Church was always destined to be. Just space. In the beginning, there was space, and into that space, God spoke, and He filled it with light. He filled it with life. And the exact same unchanging God is the same God who delights in finding space still to this day into which He can speak. And fill it with light, and fill it with life, and fill it with beauty. Smile. This is really good news. But let me ask you this question. I've been pondering it over the last couple of weeks. Do you think there are different kinds of spaces? Do you think there are some kinds of spaces that are especially conducive to the work and the will and the wonder of God And transversely, are there some kinds of spaces that are actually resistant to the work and the will and the wonder of God? Are there some kinds of spaces that actually promote everything that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to pass? And as crazy as it sounds, are there also some kinds of spaces that are actually preventative to what the God of this universe would desire to see unfold? Get your mind around that. It plays with you a little bit. It makes you ask questions about the strength of God and the power of God, even the sovereignty of God. But we are compelled as a faith community to ask that question because I've observed in my travels that there are very different kinds of spaces. My eyes are small, but they're surprisingly strong. And as I cruise around, I make observations. And as I step into different churches week in, week out, and interact with different movements and denominations, I can't help but come to the conclusion that there are very different kinds of spaces. Some that are conducive, others that would quell, some that are promoting, others that are preventative. You might have experienced it at some point in your own journey. Have you ever felt it before? You step into church and right away from the first note that is sung or the first beat that is hit, you just know there are some spaces where they're ready to go. There's an openness, there's a hunger, there's an anticipation, and you just know, you just know, you just know that that week is going to be a week where God's Word is going to be preached, it's going to be received, and something beautiful is going to grow out of that time. Someone's getting saved, someone's getting set free, someone is leaving changed. On the other hand, there are some spaces, have you experienced them before, where you walk in there and you're singing the same songs, you're subscribing to the same theological presuppositions, The preacher is preaching, the worship leader is leading, but for some reason there's a sense that there is an emptiness in that room, 
a heavy weight, and not a Shekinah glory kind of weight, but a weight marked by familiarity and pride. And you just know that we are going to acknowledge a good God who could change our lives, but we're walking out of that place, really not experiencing this good God bringing any kind of change at all. Come on, let's be real right now. There are those kinds of spaces. I think the Bible shows us that there were different kinds of spaces. Jesus definitely taught it. One of his most famous sermons is found in Mark chapter 4. Sorry, Mark chapter 4. <laughs> I, I know a lot of you guys are finding it hard to follow along with this accent right now. So, Come on, let's wake up. Let's, everyone say Mark. Mark. Say Mark like an Australian. Mark. Mark. Say Mark like an American. Mark. Mark. Say Mark like a Chinaman. Mark. Awesome, I taught you languages. <laughs> Just say everyone's on the same page. Mark chapter 4. He's teaching, and in my Bible, it is actually um, subtitled, uh, The Parable of the Sower. But you've got to understand that Jesus was just teaching on the different kinds of spaces we can allow our heart, our lives, and our churches to become. He talks about how this sower goes out and sows seed. Nothing wrong with the seed, it's supernatural seed. Nothing wrong with the seed, it is miraculous seed. Nothing wrong with the seed, the seed comes from God. But depending on the, come on, ground that it lands on, the space that it lands on, that seed either blooms and multiplies or it becomes a story of what could have been. He says there are different kinds of spaces that you can allow your heart to become. There are different kinds of spaces you can cultivate in every single church, in every single service even. And depending on the kind of space that you cultivate, you'll either see the mighty and the miraculous or the what could have been. He says, the farmer goes out and sows seed and some of that seed lands on hard ground. And that hard ground is, is symbolic of resistant ground, prideful ground. And even though there is miracle in that seed, what happens is the birds of the air come and pick that seed away and nothing comes of it. He says, yet the seed also falls in another kind of space or ground. This kind of space or ground is shallow. And even though it goes in and it begins to grow quickly, it never develops a root system. This signifies a, a kind of space that is all surface level. We like to appear better than we actually are on the inside. We care more about what people think than what God actually thinks. And what happens is it begins to grow, but the problem is when the sun rises, in other words, when the heat gets turned up, that little plant can't handle the focus. And what happens is it, it, it fizzes as quick as it flares up. Jesus continues and says, yet there is a third kind of space where the seed drops on it and there is soil there and it's deep soil and it develops a root system. But the problem is in that space and in that environment, there are also thorns and thistles and bushes fighting and vying for the attention of the sun and the nutrients of the earth. Jesus says this signifies the kind of life, the kind of heart, the kind of church that cannot remain focused on Jesus and the weight and the pressures and the, and the desires of this temporary world eventually choke out the work of God. And then Jesus brings his sermon in for a landing. The cool keyboard ninja slips up onto the, onto the keys and starts playing away, giving everyone the deepest and most tangible sense of God's presence. Have you ever noticed that before? And then he talks about, yet there's a fourth kind of space, a fourth kind of ground where the seed drops on it. And it begins to grow. It's not hard. 
It's soft. It's not resistant. It's receptive. And it grows. It's not shallow. It's deep. It allows the work to really take root. And it grows. Hey, it's not crowded and distracted. It is totally enamored with the presence of Jesus and his desire for that space. And it grows. And ultimately, you will see a miraculous return. Not 30-fold, not 60-fold. We're talking like 100-fold return. Jesus didn't even have to articulate the application to that message because everybody was left fully aware what Jesus was saying. They had smelt what he was cooking. He compelled the listeners then like he compels us right now to ask this bold and brave question. Hey, what kind of space are you? What kind of space are you cultivating here? What kind of space are you cultivating in your family? An Embassy City Church, week in, week out, win, lose, or draw? What kind of space are we cultivating in our church? Because he makes it clear. Because since the beginning of time, even though God could have his way, with just his say, because he is God. It has been his intention and his desire to partner with humanity to bring about his glory. He entrusts us with the opportunity to cultivate environments where his seed can be sown and beautiful things can be grown. And he gets the glory while we taste the joy. What kind of space are we cultivating here? And I love how Mark chapter 4 is followed by Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6. That's not theology, that's just mathematics. And how Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6, sorry, Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6, actually are the, the outworkings of this teaching. Because Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6 talk about two different kinds of spaces. One receptive, one resistant. One promoting, one preventative. One conducive, one that would quell. Let me explain. In Mark chapter 6, it actually signifies a region which is uh, resistant to the work and the will and the wonder of God. You can read it in your own time, but I'll basically... Um, um, uh, quote the entire passage to you there in Mark chapter 5 through to Mark chapter 6. The beginning of Mark chapter 6 begins with Jesus rolling into a region called Nazareth, a city called Nazareth. It was his hometown. To give you the background, Jesus and the boys have been rolling around the Sea of Galilee and its surrounding towns having a grand old time, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, seeing the captives set free. They were having a grand old time, and Jesus thought it was time for the boys and him to roll back into their hometown to lay low for a little bit. The Bible says that Jesus and the boys lay low until the Sabbath, which is the Saturday before they went down to the synagogue, the local church, to have a little bit of a preach. So the Bible says on the Sabbath, Jesus goes to church, and when the opportunity arose, Jesus grabbed the mic, metaphorically, and he began to preach. And the Bible says right away, everybody was blown away by Jesus' teaching. They're going, wow, this is amazing. 
What power, what insight, what authority, where did this guy come from? This is incredible. I'm loving what this guy's serving. And they're having an amazing time. But then something started happening. People began to recognize Jesus. The whisper became a murmur. The murmur became a roar. As they all started to declare, I've seen this guy before. Yo, Billy, I've seen him somewhere. I can't put my... You know what? I worked it out. Billy, you know who he is? That Jesus. Remember from Nazareth High? That time we were in that camp and the ball went into the water, the doobie walk. That's Jesus. He ain't no radical rabbi. This guy ain't no special international teacher. This guy's just Jesus. Well, what did he do again for a living? That's right. He was the son of Joe the carpenter. This guy did renovations in my house a couple of years back. Aren't his brothers and sisters amongst us right now? Isn't his mum Mary sitting in the corner selling cookies? This guy ain't nothing special. He's just Jesus. And then the strangest verse in all of the Bible was recorded. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, the strangest verse in all of Holy Writ was penned. Now there's some strange verses in the Bible. You'll read about some weird kind of donkey parts in the book of Kings. You'll have some weird kind of references to male and female intimacy in the Song of Songs. But there are no verses in all of the Bible that are as strange as the verse found in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5. The Bible says Jesus is there. He's literally at a Sunday 10 a.m. service. He's preaching his heart out. He wants to see people who are lost found. He wants to see people who are broken mended. He wants to deal with every infirmity and disease in that space. But he couldn't. Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except for lay hands on a few sick people and make them well but by and large nothing happened Woo! Jesus couldn't do you know what an oxymoron is an oxymoron are two words sitting next to each other that don't add up you know what I'm saying like um, government service or um, (laughs) Microsoft works you know like kind of But there was no crazier oxymoron ever muttered in human history like Jesus couldn't. This is Jesus, people. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us this is Jesus, through whom everything was made, for whom everything was made, in whom everything is held together. He has literally got the whole world in his hands, but those hands were tied. Why? Did they lose an iota of power for an instant? No. It's just that since the beginning of time, these hands have been extended to us, creation, and offered the opportunity for partnership to bring about his glory. And because those hands in Nazareth were slapping the hands of God away, God compelled by his nature of love. God does not love as an act of his will, but as an extension of his character. He can't but help love. And understanding that love does not force its way in, but force woos one to itself and offers itself to the beloved. Because that interchange wasn't happening, Jesus' hands were literally tied. And nothing happened in Nazareth. The disciples freak out. They pull Jesus to the side and they say, Jesus, what's going on here? Do do we need to run the service again? Do we need to kind of get a little bit, you know? Jesus 
said something that we've all heard quoted before. Hey, you know what? I kind of suspected this would happen. Because a prophet is not welcome in his hometown. Or in other words, if you ever get, a, get to a place in your journey where you think you've seen it all before, you will never likely see anything new again. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus literally came to church to preach the gospel and nobody saw it. They left the same way they came. Which was so different than Mark chapter 5. One chapter previously, literally a few miles up the road, actually just a few days before. Mark chapter 5 signifies the opposite, a receptive place, a conducive place, a fertile place. Mark chapter 5 begins with Jesus rolling into a region called the Gadarenes. Now, the Gadarenes is a wild place. You know, like kind of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This is like kind of what happens in the Gadarenes stays in the Gadarenes. And the Bible says Jesus and the boys roll into the Gadarenes, and the wildest of the wild was a dude named Legion. Legion was so wild, they nicknamed him Legion because he partied like a guy with 6,000 demons inside of him. And the reason he partied like a guy with 6,000 demons inside of him is because he had 6,000 demons inside of him. And the Bible says he couldn't restrain himself. No one could restrain him. He was hell-bent on hurting himself. And the Bible says Jesus rolls into the Gadarenes and Legion, seeing Jesus, knowing who he was, ran up to Jesus and fell at his feet. Because even the foulest demons of hell know exactly who's in control. And they begin to speak to Jesus. They go, yo, Jesus, oh, we know what you're here for. We know that you're here to set people free. We know you're here to set this Legion guy free. So check it out. You don't even have to ask us. We'll leave. Because wherever you are, we won't be. So check it out. There's some pigs chilling on the side of the hill. Could you like kind of cast us out of him and we'll jump into the pigs and we out. And Jesus looks at Legion because his desire for you is not to be um, wound down or ground up or bound by the demonic. No, he wants to set you free. He wants you to know liberty. He speaks to Legion and says, yo, demons, get out and jump into those pigs. The demons jumped out of Legion into the pigs, and the pigs go crazy because now they're demon-possessed pigs. And so they run down the hill, and they jump into the water, and they all drown because pigs can neither fly nor swim. And so it destroys the bacon industry in that region for like a decade. All the men in town get really angry because everybody loves their bacon, so they start chasing Jesus and the boys, crying out for blood and bacon, bacon and blood. And so the Bible says Jesus and the boys hot-footed out of town, and they get into a rowboat. Now, I've never wanted to question Jesus, but really? A rowboat? Is that the best escape vehicle? But Jesus did it, so I'll just kind of believe it. And I say that they jumped into this rowboat, and they sailed to the other side. As they're sailing away, here is Legion, this man who had been hell-bent on destroying himself. Now he was set free. Now he was made whole. And he's crying out to Jesus, yo, let me come with you. Partly because he wanted to join in on the mission. Partly because there were all these Gadarene men crying out for blood and bacon, bacon and blood. But Jesus speaks to the wild man and says, now I want you to go. And tell everyone in these 10 cities about what Jesus has done. The first commissioned evangelist in the church of Jesus used to be a madman. 
And so they're crossing over to the lake and they get to the other side. They get to a place we know as Capernaum. And the Bible says when they got to the shore, there was already a multitude there. A throng of humanity, dozens deep, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe catch one word that would drip from his celestial lips. But through the crowd pushes a man named Jairus. And we know him as a synagogue ruler. He ruled in the synagogue. That's why I'm guessing they called him a synagogue ruler. And everyone made, for him, made room for him because he was a man of stature. But the Bible says there in Mark chapter 5, Jairus pushes through the crowd and falls at Jesus' feet. This was a strange picture. He was used to having people fall at his feet. And here is Jesus, this radical rabbi, this rebel, with seemingly no cause that the synagogue could not stand. In fact, at that point already, the synagogue were already plotting his downfall, if not death. But this Jairus had an issue in his life bigger than even the religiosity that was like a cord around his neck. He had a little girl at home who was really sick. And so Jairus looks up at Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I know that you don't owe me anything. In fact, you could like just slap me down right now, but I've got a little girl at home and I've prayed every prayer. I've offered every offering, but still nothing. You're my last chance, Jesus. And I just know that if you come to my house this afternoon and lay hands on her, she'll be made well. Now, Jesus had an opportunity right there to exact revenge to take his frustration out on a religious leader. But he didn't. Why? Because again, Jesus doesn't love us in response to our loveliness. Like that wonderful worship leader shared before, he loved us whilst we're still in sin. Because he doesn't love us because we are lovely, he loves us because of who he is. He can't help himself. If he could cut God, he would bleed love. Therefore, he loves the rebel and the religious the same, the lawless and the legalist the same. And he looks at Jairus in his humble state and he says, Yo, Jairus, we good, baby. I will come with you today. So they start rolling to the other side of town trying to find Jairus' house. Isn't the Bible cool? You should read it more. And the Bible says, continuing in Mark chapter 5, there's another character. And we have her introduced as the woman with the issue of blood. She had been bleeding for 12 years, spent every cent that she had, but instead of getting better, she just grew worse. The Bible says this woman hears that Jesus is in town, but there's a problem. Because she had the issue of blood, she was ceremonially unclean, and for her to go into public, if she came into contact with anybody else, she would make them ceremonially unclean. And that could bring about for her a harsh penalty indeed. But she must have reasoned, I'm living death right now. What more can man do to me? So she bravely went out to find Jesus. I could have imagined her kind of opening up the door and seeing the sun hit her face. She doesn't get to see the sun very often. And she went to find where Jesus was. How did she find Jesus? I don't know. Maybe she followed the crowds. Maybe someone took a Jesus selfie and posted it on Instagram and she worked it out. I, I don't know how she worked out where Jesus was, but the Bible says she got down to where Jesus was, but there was a problem. He was surrounded by a crowd. Remember, they were all heading to Jairus' house. So the Bible says she didn't stop there. She must have concluded, I've come so far. My miracle is within reach. I ain't stopping now. So the Bible says she pushes through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, I'm coming through. 
The Bible says Jesus is walking past, and she reasoned to herself, I just need to touch his cloak. So she reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak, and the Bible says immediately she felt healing fill her body. Just one touch from Jesus and a dead thing inside of her came back to life again. Just one touch from Jesus, this infirmity that no man could deal with all of a sudden was dealt with. Just one touch from Jesus and the impossible became the miraculous done. Just one touch from Jesus and everything was turned around. Jesus stops and says, yo, somebody touched me. The disciples said, excuse me, Jesus, what do you mean there's a lot of people around bumping up against you? What do you mean somebody touched you? Jesus said, no, no, no. I know somebody touched me because I felt power depart from me. Woo, I love that little detail. Because that, that, that means that every single time we have an interaction with God, every time he gives you an answer, every time he gives you a revelation, every time he gives you a sense of hope, every single time he performs a miracle, every single time he breaks through, every single time he provides, that's not some random God out in the sky performing a nice act on someone he doesn't know. It's a personal loving God who's personally acquainted with your situation, personally making a difference. When you feel it, God feels it too. And so this woman says, oh, it was me. So she runs up and falls at his feet and says, yo, Jesus, I've had this issue for a whole bunch of years. I spent all the money I got, haven't got better. In fact, I grew worse. But I knew that if I just touched your cloak, I'd be made well. And she is told by Jesus, sweetheart, your faith made you well. I'm ready to move. I'm good to go. But you came hungry. And when, when you find the intersection between a good and loving God who is more than enough and our human need and a humble heart, you'll see a miracle explode. In the meantime, in comes another character, Jairus' servant. And right in the middle of that scene bursts this man with very sad news. Hey, everybody, I bear bad news. I'm really sorry. But Jairus, we don't need to bother Jesus anymore. Your little girl just passed away. She's dead. I could imagine Jairus with eyes full of tears and a heart full of pain looking towards Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, thanks for trying. It's too late. My little girl's gone and I just got to go and prepare for the funeral now. But little did Jairus know, like little do some of us know that in Jesus, it's never too late. Because Jesus is the Alpha, He's the Omega, He's the beginning, He's the end. That, that's just theological talk for He's the writer, the director, the producer, and the star of this movie. And the final credits don't get to roll until Jesus says they roll. He's got life in His hands. And so He said to Jairus, Yo, Jairus, don't stress, baby, we're good. We'll keep on going. So they keep on going down to Jairus' house. The Bible says there in Mark chapter 5, when they get to Jairus' house, there's a large group of people hanging out the front, and they're all crying. The Jewish funeral ceremony had begun. I picture those people at the front crying to be women, because women are caring, connected creatures. They're empathetic. They feel for one another. When one woman is saying, I'm feeling emotional right now. Like, oh, no, I'm feeling emotional as well. I'm feeling frumpy right now. Oh, my, my girlfriend, I'm frumpy as well. I want to go to the bathroom. Oh, I'm, I'll come to the bathroom with you. So they kind of... <laughs> Men aren't like that. 
Men are like kind of, bro, I want to go to the bathroom. Well, good luck. What do you want me to do? Like kind of. So I picture the group at the front of this house as a group of women who are crying. The pain had already begun. But in the Bible, here's a cool little um, nuance there in the story. A lot of people overlook. The Bible says Jesus takes Jairus' wife, a couple of the servants and a couple of his boys, and they push through the crowd. He won't even allow our pain and our sorrow to stop you from experiencing his presence and his goodness and his grace and his restoration. So they push through the crowd and they step into the room. In the corner of this dim lit room is a dead little girl. Problem. It was strictly against Mosaic law to have any interaction with a dead body. But then again, technically, it was against Old Testament law to have an interaction with a demoniac in Pigland. It definitely was against Old Testament law to have an interaction with a woman with the issue of blood. So Jesus must have concluded, yo, I've been breaking laws all day long. Why stop now? And so Jesus walks over to the other side of the room, stands over the little girl and says, mm, Talitha Kaum, in Aramaic, literally meaning little girl, get up. And the Bible says immediately, she got up. Just one word from Jesus and dead things rise. Come on, just one word from Jesus. A dead dreams come to life. Come on, just one word from Jesus and a dead soul is restored. Come on, just one word from Jesus and the lost comes home. Come on, just one word from Jesus. And like a classic teenager, the first thing she says is, I'm hungry. And so Jesus says, yo, quick, get this little girl something to eat because she doesn't, Jesus doesn't just want to restore our, our spiritual lives. He also cares about our physical lives. And so Jesus says, yo, quick, get her something to eat. So the disciples run out to the kitchen and they'll be yelling, hey, Jesus, we've got some stuff here. What should we bring? And then Jesus goes, yeah, whatever you got, like a falafel or like kind of, you got Pop-Tarts there, bring her a Pop-Tart. Kind of cut the edges off it. Just, like, just give this little girl something to eat. And then Mark chapter 5 comes to a close. This beautiful scene. A little girl given back to her parents and a bunch of disciples amazed. Could you imagine being one of the disciples sitting there kind of, you know, at the evening meeting going, wow, today was a day. By lunchtime, we saw the wildest party man in the Gadarenes set free, and now he's running around preaching the gospel and seeing revival. And then right after lunch, we met a woman who was the picture of brokenness and disconnection. She had never had the opportunity to know love before, and now she tasted love, and now she knows how to receive and give it. And there's a little girl sitting in the corner of the room chewing on a Pop-Tart right now. And she was dead but a few minutes ago. And they were all filled with amazement. Wow. What a difference a couple, come on, of spaces make. In my last six minutes and nine seconds with you, I just want to ask you one simple question. 
Embassy City Church. And you've got to understand, if you're sitting here right now, you're not here by accident. You're here by God's providence. You aren't here because you know that Pastor Tim is a great speaker and you like to hear him talk. You're not here because a friend of yours said, hey, there's a new thing starting over there in Irving. We should go along. You're not even here. Some people think they're here because you came to church this morning going, you know what? If I come this morning, God might help the Cowboys win this afternoon. You got to understand, you may think that's your reason. No, you are here by the providence and the beautiful serendipity of God. He has brought together circumstances to bring you to this point, to be a part of, come on, something new, and to ask this very important question. In this new season, come on, in this new building, what kind of space are we going to build? Because hear me straight. You're allowed to do what you want, and God will love you anyway. Because remember, God's love for us is not given in response to our loveliness. He loves us because it's who He is. But that doesn't change the fact that we are given opportunity to cultivate the kind of environment where we see the lost found, where we see the hurting healed, where we see the wildest party people come face to face with Jesus and experience freedom for the first time in their life. Come on, we can be the kind of place where the most disconnected and broken of people who have had horrific relationships in the past, come on, come to a place where they find wholeness through a relationship with Him. Come on, the kind of space where literally our dead young are given back to us and the prodigal comes home. (gasps) What kind of space Embassy City Church, do you want to be? Because if you want to be that kind of Mark chapter 5 space, we have to ask some serious questions. What was prevalent there in Mark chapter 5 and how can we lace our environment with these same things? And what was up with Mark chapter 6? And what were some of the things there that we need to become really careful of? Mark chapter 5 was marked by a sense of expectation of what God was going to do. Can you see that right at the beginning? They were all waiting by the seashore. Or in other words, they weren't rolling in like kind of 15, 20 minutes late, kind of just in after the... No, they were there, ready, hungry, rearing to go. In Mark chapter 6, you see right away a spirit of familiarity. We've seen this all before. There ain't nothing new here. You can start tinkling in the background as soon as you want to because I'm telling you now, as soon as you start doing that, it's like Jesus shows up and goes, we ready? Seriously, wait, 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 wait. Stop playing, stop playing, go. When you start playing, stop playing. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, that was it. No, that was <laughs> What would happen? Come on, if we tore off 
the layers of familiarity every time we walk through the foyer, come on, on a Sunday morning and say, you know what, God, I've seen some cool stuff before, but I've got a feeling that I ain't seen nothing yet. And I'm not growing familiar with you, King Jesus, because every time I catch a glimpse of you, I get my breath taken away. My mind gets blown. My heart races a little bit quicker. I'm dropping the spirit of familiarity at the door. Come on, what would happen if we came in here every single week? Come on, with a sense of expectation. Maybe for my life, I need a breakthrough. But you know what? Right now, I'm going good. So I'm going to give you glory and I'm believing for a breakthrough for the person to my left or the person to my right. Come on. What would happen if we laced our environment with that kind of expectation? What would happen if we tore off the pride you see in Mark chapter 6? Basically, they were so proud. They said that this Jesus cat's nothing but a carpenter. And the Bible says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what would happen if we actually came humble? Because the Bible says in Mark chapter 5 that each of those characters at some point fell at Jesus' feet. Your positioning will precede the unfolding of God's promise for your life. And if you would position yourself humbly walking through these doors going, I can't but you can. I'm not enough, but you're more than enough. I'm banging my head against this wall, but you, God, with a gust can knock this down. Come humble. Can you see the unbelief in Mark chapter 6? They're basically saying, hey, we got this covered. We got church. And even if God offers his son Jesus to afresh and anew be the king of that house, we don't need it. We don't want it. We don't believe anything can really change, so we don't want to hear anything new from you. Can you see the belief that was in Mark chapter 5? They didn't even have to have a conversation with Jesus. All of them just knew before even interacting with him face to face that he was up to something good. And that paved the way for the miraculous. So here's my challenge. Our collective dare. Would you come in here week in, week out? And this applies to your daily lives. This applies to your daily study. This applies to your family gatherings. This applies to every part of our existence. But especially here at Embassy City Church, granted space. But would you create this space? Would you cultivate the space? where the miraculous happens. Drop it. The familiarity, the pride, and the unbelief. Come on. Furnish this. With the expectation, with humility, and miraculous faith. And who knows, we might find ourselves all looking at each other going, wow. Are you filled with amazement? I am. Wow. As I wrap up our time, I leave you with that challenge. Five or six. But knowing Pastor Tim and Juliet and having interacted with Pastor Stephen for a little bit and 
being picked up this morning by the the six foot five Bahamian male model, Frederick. Even looking in your faces right now, I've got a pretty good feeling. Come on, what Embassy City Church is going to be. Here's to my friend, a journey where we are all consistently filled with amazement.